fourth string podcast we got a new mic today i'm excited about this thing i test this out some we got a lot of cool stuff to talk to i'm excited about it um let's not waste time let's just jump in i don't have ben on here so we're not gonna waste time um they could argue a waste of time with that it's all good all right so nick saban comes out and he suspends his defensive back uh tony mitchell um for going 141 miles an hour before his arrest um We'll get to Nick Saban's comments in just a minute. Uh, just talk about 141 miles an hour, by the way. I am somebody who watches um, a lot of different types of racing from NASCAR to uh, open wheel racing. I watch a lot of it. Um, I've got a pretty cool sports car. I've got a Mustang. I've got a simulator in my house. Um, 141 miles an hour is pretty darn fast. Um, just to kind of put it perspective you could have a really nice race car and even if you knew what you were doing going 141 miles an hour is really dangerous um so to be doing that on like an open freeway is a little bit ridiculous but everybody is up in arms today about nick saban's comments and basically he said there's no such thing as wrong place wrong time um and so i mean if you uh, most everybody's been following but if you haven't that is likely in reference to brandon miller the alabama guard um and everything going on there and so was nick saban's comments was it shade at nate oates the alabama basketball coach was it shade at the alabama athletics department as a whole i think it's real interesting um you know the media wants you and everybody to pick a side on the brandon miller debate um should he be suspended for uh handing his friend the gun which maybe he didn't know was a gun should uh should it not be a big deal because he didn't know what was in the package i mean we could go back and forth on that debate and i think people do that ad nauseum um that said whether brandon Mueller is guilty of something or not i don't know i don't know enough about it but i can typically look at how people are reacting to a to the scenario and i can make a determination by that for one if you have any remorse for that if you have any remorse for what happened you would come out and say look this is awful i had no idea you know whatever you give a very heartfelt apology brandon miller's done none of that he's issued no apology now you could say okay well he's not apologizing because he is at the directive of the school's pr department and that probably is very true but here's the thing about that if that is true nick saban's comments would fly in the face at everybody in that pr department and that may be you know why he made them but i'll tell you this the fact that again none of us we can pretend we know about the scenario none of us know about the scenario but who probably is in the know is in nick saban and so the fact that he came out and said that i think it does say a lot about brandon miller i think it says a lot about nate oates i don't think nick saban has anything necessarily to gain or his football team has anything to benefit at the downfall of Alabama basketball. But I also don't think Nick Saban is stupid. And when he got in front of that microphone yesterday, didn't know 
what would happen if he said that about Alabama basketball or not really about Alabama basketball, but if he said that in reference to his player, Tony Mitchell, and that people would make the connection to Alabama basketball. Nick Saban's too smart of a guy to not know what he's the, the repercussions of what he says in front of the mic. He knew that. That was a direct shot at Nate Oates. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think Nick Saban is a guy that cares what the media thinks or wants other people to believe. I think Nick, and he doesn't have any reason to. Like the ultimate determination of somebody who isn't impacted one way or the other by the media, honestly, is if they could quit their job tomorrow and their life wouldn't change. Nick Saban could leave Alabama football tomorrow. His life would not be impacted. So if the media tries to cancel him, if the media tries to do whatever, he does not care, right? Which means Nick Saban can say whatever he wants. He doesn't have to follow the Alabama PR department. What's Alabama going to do? Fire him? Fine him? You're not going to do that to Nick. There's no way. So Nick Saban is at freedom. He's got that type of leverage to step in front of the mic and say what he wants. And again, did Nick Saban have his player drive 141 miles an hour so he could suspend him from the football team and say this? No, that is not what happened. But I think Nick did use this as an opportunity to say, look, don't judge our entire university by what the basketball program does because we're going to operate at an entirely different level. We are not going to operate the way our basketball team is operating or handling this situation with Brandon Miller. I think it was a direct shot at NATO. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that is why he put that out there. And I think, honestly, if Nick Saban is in the know, and if more of this comes out about Brandon Miller, that he was more involved than what is being alluded to, um, Nick Saban's going to look like the really smart one. And a lot of people at Alabama and in that athletic department will lose their job. And Nick Saban's going to say, look, I told you so. Like, there's just no such thing as wrong place, wrong time. Um, all right. Let's talk about some of these quarterback draft prospects. Now, I know we do a lot of college football on this show. Um, the draft is my favorite. It is my favorite sporting event of the year. I'm not kidding. Um, and I know it's completely overdone. I know it doesn't have nearly the impact on a team that we put into it. We put way too much stock into draft picks. I'm all, I, Listen, I'm not going to push back on any of that. But as far as what I find the most entertaining sporting event, the NFL draft is it. I will literally, when the draft happens, Thursday through Saturday, I will sit in my man cave with chips and salsa. Honestly, I don't know that I need anything else to eat. And for three days straight, I won't shave. I won't shower. I won't change clothes. I won't do anything but watch the NFL draft and then look up as the draft is happening or after the draft, look up all sorts of different things about the players, like just do tons of research. I mean, and again, I nobody gets anything out of it. I just, I love it. I love it so much. So, um, you know, we do college football here, but I feel like the draft is the ultimate merger from college football to the NFL. Um, and I absolutely love it. And the part that I probably love the most is discussing and debating 
uh, these quarterbacks are, that are in the draft. And let's be clear about this quarterback debate. Like, it's a lot of fun. I love going back and forth with people on Twitter. The reality is, of the positions in the NFL, we, uh, we have the most trouble. When I say we, I mean fans, scouts, GMs, coaches. Anybody that watches the game of football or participates with it has more trouble evaluating quarterbacks than any other position. I, I mean, like it's, it is impossible. And if you don't believe me, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is taking over this league and he was drafted, I think 11th and he's taking over the NFL. If anybody actually had Intel that suggested Mahomes was going to be as good as he is, all 32 franchises would have been doing whatever it took to take him at pick one. Reality is nobody knew he was going to be that good. Nobody knew. So I think we can all have takes on this thing. I think in reality, we're not going to know what any of these guys are until they step place on the field. And, you know, the part that I find so interesting about quarterbacks and about evaluating that position at the NFL level is in college football, quarterback play is really determined by your talent and somewhat your coachability, but it's really more your talent and your coach's ability to leverage your talent within a system, right? That, that's how we evaluate whether or not you're going to be a good college quarterback in the NFL though, you can have a ton of talent. I can give you a great coach. I can give you a great supporting cast and you might only be so good and you might not, you know, you may not have the Zach Wilson or Johnny Manziel moxie and you still may not be able to cut it. And like you could check just about all the boxes and not be able to cut it. It is such a tough position to evaluate because there is a mentality that comes with this playing with that comes with this position where you have to be the perfect mix of cocky and confident, but also a leader and also a contributor, not a taker. Like the guys who approach the quarterback position as I want to pad stats. I want to be an NBA player, but play quarterback. It doesn't work. It might work temporarily like Cam Newton worked for a breath. And then it felt faded out. Cam Newton was not sustainable. And so evaluating these quarterbacks, and I'm going to give you my rankings. I just think right now, all of it's fun. I take it all lightly. Um, I've got my thoughts on all of these guys, but in reality, until they put on a jersey, step on a field, I don't think we really know what any of these guys are going to be capable of. I think of the top, really the top two, one of them I think is going to be a strong franchise quarterback. Another one may work out to an extent, but is going to be limited. Um, and then of the rest, uh, after those top two, I think literally out of everybody else, there's going to be one that will probably pop. And it may pop to the extent of a Dak Prescott. It may pop to the extent of a Russell Wilson. It might pop to the extent of a Tom Brady. We don't know, right? They're going to pop at some point, but the level of which they pop, you just don't know what that's going to be. I mean, Brock Purdy probably, maybe, is the best quarterback out of last year's class. Well, he was the last pick out of the entire draft. I mean, that's just how tough it is to evaluate this position. So here are my thoughts on 
these quarterbacks. So I'll give you my rankings. I'm start off at number one. My top quarterback in this class is Bryce Young. Um, look, Bryce Young, uh, more often than not, if you watched Alabama's games, you could see part of Alabama's team break down. The defense would break down. The running game would not be there. Like it just wasn't physical enough at times. Um, but the one constant, no matter what Alabama type of game Alabama was in, whether it was a defensive battle, a offensive shootout, no matter what, Bryce Young was the one constant throughout all of it. He constantly held this team together, held the glue together. And I thought I saw a lot of special out of him. I saw him make a lot of plays that I just didn't think any other quarterback could make. Like Stetson Bennett, I watched a lot of Stetson Bennett. He was great for Georgia. I mean, he really was. But Stetson Bennett made a lot of throws. And I'm like, you know what? A lot of guys in the right system, they had a receiver that open. They'd complete that all day long. That's not Bennett. He's just got wide open receivers the entire time. So I I loved a lot of what I saw from Bryce Young. What I like about him, though, is he continues to improve as the year goes on. When you see players start off as one thing and take gigantic improvements throughout the year, that, I think, tells you a lot about their mentality. Now, the knock on Bryce Young is he is short. He is. But that's not news to Bryce Young. That's not going to be any different in the NFL. He was short in college. He was short in high school. He's going to be short in the NFL. Can he make it? I don't know. But I think he is the most special. And I think of the quarterbacks in there that are available, he by far has the highest floor. He will be day one ready to come in and win. You, It's not about, it's not like you're getting this uh, player that is raw that you have to coach into something great. It's not like that. No, you're getting a player that day one is ready to come in and win. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he's extremely, he's extremely accurate. And what I love probably more than anything is his creativity in being able to get receivers open and get them open to a point that makes sense with his passing technique. His eyes do it. The way he directs his receivers does it. The way he throws the ball does it. That is really special. That's the one thing about Patrick Mahomes that makes Mahomes Mahomes is it's not like you look at it as like, well, why? Wow. Mahomes is thrown to an open receiver. But the reason Mahomes is thrown to an open receiver is because they made a pre-snap audible to that receiver. He used his eyes to take the defender off of the receiver. And then he threw a pass that literally the angle at which he threw it, the only guy who can catch it is a receiver. Bryce Young does that. Now, is he going to do it to Mahomes' extent? Probably not. But he does it at a really high level. For him to be doing that coming out of college is extremely impressive. So he's my number one prospect in this class. Number two is C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, I think, has an incredible upside um, to him if everything works. But he's going to need a coach that's willing to wrap his arms around him. Like the worst type of coach C.J. Stroud could get would be like a Mike Vrabel. If he ends up going to the Titans, that is the worst place. Like, that's one of the worst places for him to go to. Um, Titans, Texans, I don't think works. Um, Carolina may work because Carolina has Frank Reich. 
Um, but Carolina is going to be tough too because Frank Reich didn't work in Indianapolis. So if he doesn't work right off in Carolina, I mean, if they're two years in and if they're not competing for playoffs, there's going to be some serious pressure on Frank Reich. C.J. Stroud can't have a coach get serious pressure that early into, into his career. He needs to go somewhere where there is some stability. Um, what team that is, I don't know. I, I mean, it's really tough to pick who would take that chance on him. Um, so I don't know where C.J. Stroud ends up, but I think fit is really, really important for him. The one thing that concerns me about C.J. Stroud is you watch his tape. He makes a lot of throws that, like, they jump off the screen. They look amazing, and he throws into tight windows, and he's got this incredible touch that he puts on the ball. The problem is, is the NFL game is played at a much faster pace for one, and for two, Ohio State just has different athletes than their competition. Like, I'm sorry, but Ohio State, when they play Northwestern or when they play Purdue or when they play Indiana or when they play Maryland, I don't know that of those schools that I just named that there's any defender, any defensive back that's going to play in the NFL. Maybe there's one. I don't know. But I mean, like, literally, it's hard to count. Bryce Young in Alabama every single week, with the exception of Vanderbilt, he's playing against guys that are going to get looks at the NFL. So he's throwing into gaps that are going to be pretty similar to gaps of talent in the NFL. The gap in talent from an Ohio State to an Indiana is the Grand Canyon. I mean, it is a massive, massive gap. And so you look at these throws by C.J. Stroud where he's throwing into tight windows, and it's like, I get that that's great there where you've got this massive gap in talent and you've got a receiver that can climb the ladder and go get it. But in the NFL, you've got a 6'3 receiver against a 6'1 corner and the 6'1 corner can jump and has better hands than probably your receiver at Ohio State. That's going to be the difference. And I don't know what C.J. Stroud does in those, in those areas. Can he still throw that beautiful touch pass that he throws into those gaps or do those gaps become way too small in the NFL for him? And now he's got to go back to, okay, what's his fastball? What's his number one pitch? What's that throw? That's my concern for C.J. Stroud. Number three, Anthony Richardson. This, to me, is the lowest floor, maybe highest ceiling. He feels a lot like Josh Allen. Uh, maybe not as physical, maybe a little bit faster. I'm, I'm nervous about Anthony Richardson. Because I don't think anybody was super high on him until the combine. The combine's hilarious. The combine is guys in their underwear. They're jumping. Like, when, like they have a, a high jump contest, right? When's the last time you watched a quarterback in the rhythm of a play and you thought, man, I'm so glad he can leap over that defender. That's not really something I ever need my quarterback to do. Now, my receiver, I need my receivers to jump. I don't need my quarterbacks to jump. So, like, the scouting combine thing, people are just blown away by Anthony Richardson's athleticism. That doesn't mean anything to me. The, the playing quarterback in the NFL is still, how good are you at throwing a 12 to 18-yard pass? If you're great at that, great. I don't care if you can throw a five or six yard pass super accurately. Tua can do that. What Tua struggles with is the 12 to 18 yard pass. 
what the Brady's and the Mahomes and the Herberts and the Trevor Lawrence's, what those guys excel at is hitting those 12 to 18 yard passes. Anthony Richardson had an accuracy problem at Florida. And the bigger issue I have with him is the quarterback he was at the start of the year compared to the quarterback he was at the end of the year is virtually the same. There's no improvement. That is a big problem for me when you're at a program like Florida and you've got amazing talent around you. I think that's a big issue. So, look, I don't know what type of a quarterback you're getting in Anthony Richardson. I think if you can get Anthony Richardson in the top of the second round, that's a really nice place to get him. My concern for Anthony Richardson is he's going to go in the top 10. He's not a top 10 quarterback. Now, his capacity might be top 10 quarterback, but his floor is complete bust, and he's a little bit of a project. Whoever whoever takes him, it's it's got to be an offensive coach. You've got to have weapons around you. Um, I and, and so I don't know who takes him. Um, I think what would be really interesting for Anthony Richardson is if he went like middle of the first round, late of the first round, and he went to like a Dallas. Now, I don't think Dallas would do this, but Dallas, I think you're seeing issues with Dak Prescott where he's limited. I think you can make an argument with Anthony Richardson, especially if it's like late first, early second, where you say, okay, look, we're not going to, we're not necessarily doing this to replace Dak yet, but we got to find a quarterback for the future. We got to find a legit player that we can coach up and things of that nature. Anthony Richardson might be a guy that Mike McCarthy can develop. I think that would be a really interesting spot. Um, Denver, I think, would be a really interesting spot for Anthony Richardson. Look, you're not going to be able to, with Russell Wilson's contract, you can't move off of Russell Wilson through free agency. But you can find a quarterback in the draft, and if Russell Wilson absolutely blows up, maybe in a year or two, move off of Wilson, and then Anthony Richardson's ready to play. And him playing for Sean Payton, Sean Payton can coach him up. Sean Payton knows that position well. So depending on where he goes, I think he could be a really nice quarterback. Or if he goes to the wrong team with the defensive-minded head coach, I just don't see it working. Number four, Will Levis. Will Levis is really interesting, and I think Will Levis might get underdrafted. Here's going to be the concern on Will Levis. He it looks weird. It looks clunky. I think more people, um, the more they watch of Levis, the more concerned they get because his delivery of the football looks weird. It doesn't look like a quarterback delivering a football should. Somebody, I heard somebody compare him to uh, Tim Couch, who also know went to Kentucky as well. That might be a very valid comparison for Will Levis, honestly. <clears throat> I mean, he's like super buff and muscular, and we've seen that before, like with Tim Tebow. You come into this draft, like you, you, you're buff and muscular, like that typically doesn't add up into a winning NFL quarterback. Um, he struggled with some accuracy issues at Kentucky, but I'm going to say this about it. This world defend him at, at Kentucky. He wasn't throwing to any great receivers, especially this year at Kentucky. Kentucky was playing from behind a lot this year too, which meant he had to take more chances. He had to make riskier throws. They weren't playing ahead. They didn't have a super dominant run game this year. 
Um, and he didn't have any great receivers that he's throwing to. So his receivers aren't getting open. What else do you want him to do? I mean, the complaint on Levis is he hangs onto the ball too long and he makes too aggressive throws. Well, you know why he's hanging on to the ball too long? His receivers can't get open. You know why he's making aggressive throws? Because they're down and he has to throw the ball. Well, it's fans are going to be booing him. So, like, I'll defend Will Levis on that. I don't think that's Levis's. I don't think it's a product of Levis's ability or decision making. I think a lot of that has to do with what he was surrounded with at Kentucky. If you go back to last year, the hype that was around Levis and just almost throw this year out, Levis is a great quarterback. He's a really, really nice prospect. Um, I don't know if he could have come out last year, but if he could have, he should have done that. That maybe is the only bad decision he's made, um, was going back to Kentucky for another year. Cause he's getting, I think a lot, very much overshadowed in this draft. I think a lot of people weren't like blown away by him at the combine, that type of a thing. Um, he throws a long ball again. I think for Levis, it's going to come down to, can you complete the 12 to 18 yard pass? But look, will Levis, depending on where he ends up, ends up, I mean, He's going to end up on a team. He's going to be like, wait, I get to throw to this caliber of a receiver? I've never had a receiver that can run a 4-3. I've never had a DK Metcalf that can just grab anything I throw to him. You can coach him into, I think, a different type of quarterback. Now, it's it's going to be, a, again, maybe a bit dependent on where he goes. I don't think he's the most gifted quarterback or has the highest upside, but I think a lot of the people that are selling Levis – I think it's a very short-sighted decision. All right. After Levis, it gets very interesting for me. So I'm only going to go up to six quarterbacks here. But after Levis, I think it's really open as to who you want at number five. So you can see a lot of different rankings. I'm not going to tell you like, oh, I definitely know who the fifth best quarterback in this draft is. Like, I think people that are telling you that they're lying. Nobody knows. Like this is a guessing game after four. Number five for me is going to be Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue. Look, Aiden O'Connell is big. He has a nice arm. He plays smart. Purdue went to the big 10 championship. I'm just going to say it again. Purdue went to the big 10 championship. You know how many times that's happened before Aiden O'Connell? Never. They don't get to the Big Ten Championship. This was a first. And they did it in the Big Ten West. And they had, honestly, if you were to line up the Big Ten offenses, there was Ohio State, there was Michigan, third best offense in the Big Ten, probably Purdue. Honestly, it probably was. Now, a lot of that had to do with the coaching. They had a fantastic coach, Jeff Brom. He's amazing. But... Aiden O'Connell played a lot into that. So he is used to high volume games where he has to throw the ball a bunch. He again is throwing to Purdue receivers. I don't think they're great. He's used to his running game completely breaking down and Purdue's defense was utterly abysmal. And he did it against teams in the big 10. Like you can say what you want about the big 10, but Wisconsin, great defense, Iowa, great defense, Northwestern, great on the defensive side. Like, the part the the thing about the Big Ten West is the offenses are terrible, but the defense are defenses are amazing. And Aiden O'Connell lit up all of those defenses this year. I think he's a really nice player. Now, are you going to get special from him? Like, is he a type of player that comes in and completely changes your franchise? No, he's not that. 
But I do think Aiden O'Connell can come in and be a really valuable quarterback to somebody. And here's the thing I'll say about this. Like, we often dog on backup quarterbacks in the NFL. But if you look up the backup quarterback position in the league, like, if it weren't for Chad Henney, I could argue the Chiefs wouldn't have made two of their past three Super Bowls. Like, I could really make that argument. Um, these backup quarterbacks, it's a very important position. Um, sometimes you need a bridge quarterback. Sometimes you need a quarterback that can step in when your starter goes out and you're in a big playoff moment. Um, sometimes, like San Francisco, I bet they wish they had a better backup quarterback this past year because they ended up having to go to, I forget his name, but the guy who's like been in the league for, I don't know, 20 years and has been on like 30 different teams. I forget his name, but they had to go to him in a big playoff game. They would have loved to have had an Aiden O'Connell on their team. There is a place in the league for that type of quarterback. Aiden O'Connell to me, his floor is he's going to be a career backup. Well, look, you need a really good backup quarterback. That is a valuable position in this league. Like it just at some point throughout the season, your team is probably going to need a backup quarterback. He can be that guy. I think his ceiling is, I think he could be a franchise guy. I think he has that Brock Purdy potential where nobody's paying attention to him because he played at Purdue. Um, he had a little bit of a, is the question marks on him are he throws uh, way too aggressively. Well, again, if you're at Purdue, you're going to throw aggressive balls. I'm okay with that. So Aiden O'Connell is number five. Number six is Hinden Hooker. And I'll tell you this about Hinden Hooker. If it weren't for one thing, he would be number three for me. He completes 70% of his passes. He is extremely fast. And he is aimer. And I think he has a lot of potential to be a great quarterback in this league. Like a lot of potential. Here is my pushback on Hendon Hooker. Multiple injuries at this point. I just can't have it. Um, I don't know what that means for his future. But I'm looking at what happened in Tennessee. Um, he had some injury issues at Virginia Tech, I believe. And I was going, man, that knee, if if he goes out, you know, like if we take a big risk on him and he goes out, that's a big problem. And I just can't have, like, I mean, you look around this league, the Ravens love Lamar Jackson, I think. I think they would love for Lamar to be the quarterback for the future. Lamar wants a guaranteed contract. Lamar can't guarantee you that he's even going to be available. So what do you do with that? I mean, Tua has got all of these concussion issues in Miami. Love Tua. Nice quarterback. Maybe he's the guy in Miami, but he's not reliable because he's injured all the time. And it's not his fault. It's just it's the reality of it. And so my question mark with Hinton Hooker is what reliability do I get from Hinton Hooker, if anything? I think, and I love Hinton Hooker, I think he's a great player, but I think Hinton Hooker, if you're going to take that, it can't be a first or second round pick. you got to wait until like the third round to really take a chance on a quarterback like that, or else I think you're overdrafting because the the issues with the injuries are just too big to overlook at this point. So there is my quarterback rankings. Um, I got to tell you, I, I would absolutely be all in on Aiden O'Connell. Um, if I'm a team not necessarily in need of a quarterback, 
but I can use like a mid round pick on them. I think that's you're getting a gamer, somebody who's won, somebody who played at a small school. By the way, Purdue, they've had some success in this league. I mean, Drew Brees is one of those guys that's come into this league and been absolutely amazing. So uh, Purdue's got some success. All right, let's end with this. So Jim Harbaugh at Michigan was approached by several NFL teams throughout the offseason. Um, again, the uh, Panthers, they really wanted them. Um, um, and we saw this happen again last year. Here's the reality with Jim Harbaugh and here's the reality with Michigan football. And it's something I just think we've got to, we've got to discuss and we've got to admit, we've got to kind of get, we, we've got to understand what is this and why it's happening. So Michigan a few years ago, when they had a terrible year, went to Harbaugh and said, look, we want you to take a pay cut. And Harbaugh did. Uh, part of it was because of COVID. And part of it, too, was just, uh, Jim, you're not winning a lot here. Michigan needed him to do that. And Michigan was probably within every right to do that. I, I don't think you necessarily regret that. But when they did that, that put a big chip on Jim Harbaugh's shoulders. It really did. I think Jim Harbaugh was all in on Michigan until that and then he said okay well if you're not going to be all in on me if you're going to ask me to take a pay cut and i'm going to do this for you i'm expecting you to understand that i'm now going to explore other options as they become available to me i don't think harbaugh necessarily wants to leave michigan but you're going to get this now every year where nfl teams are going to call on him and he's going to allow it because it's going to be how he can leverage keeping his coordinators and if michigan doesn't like it he can say, look, I've gotten into the playoffs twice now. You're asking me to take pay cuts. I'm not going to do that until you acknowledge that you need me here. I'm going to continue to entertain these other NFL offers. Michigan fans don't like this. And this is where I think college football fans have a really big disconnect. You know, in the NFL, we don't really care about this. But in college, you look at your coach and you think, oh, that coach needs to sign a lifetime contract. If he takes a better job for more pay, in a better area, he's evil, and how dare he do that? I mean, Oklahoma fans were seething at Lincoln Riley for taking the USC job, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, USC is paying him more. USC is a more storied program, and I mean, Oklahoma's got a lot of story behind it, but USC past 20, 30 years, that's a better program than Oklahoma has been, and not to mention Los Angeles, pretty cool place to live. Norman, Oklahoma, they get some storms. That's really about the gist of it. They get some storms and you're surrounded by, um, you know, farmers. So like it doesn't make Oklahoma a bad job, but when USC comes calling, that's not Lincoln Riley being mean. That's Lincoln Riley. Like, dude, I'm getting a better job. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I would want, if I were a, like, if I'm the fan of a college team, I want my coach constantly getting opportunities. I don't necessarily want them to leave, but your coach getting opportunities is the sign that you have a good coach. I would much rather my coach be that than be in a position of wondering, is my coach even good? Like, and that's where Ohio state finds themselves with Ryan day. No school, no NFL team is calling on Ryan day because everybody looks at Ryan day. Like, I don't even know if he's that good of a coach. In Ohio State, like, 
you don't want to fire Ryan Day because he's winning like 10, 11 games a year, but you're also like not enthused by him because he keeps losing to Michigan now, right? So, I mean, these Ohio State fans, like, what do they do? I'm sure they would much rather have their coach be constantly interviewed and courted by other programs only to say, because if that's happening, that means you have a great coach. Hugh Freeze was at Liberty. I'm a big Liberty fan. Um, and I don't think you freeze handled it the right way at all. And I've talked about it before, but Hugh freeze at Liberty got an offer from Auburn. Why would I expect Hugh freeze to stay at Liberty? I don't. And actually it elevated Liberty that Hugh freeze was able to take Liberty to what it was and use that to get the Auburn job. Cause now other coaches are like, wow, if I want a job like Auburn, the path to it is through Liberty. Right. And it's not that you're necessarily using these programs as a stepping stone. It's not like Jim Harbaugh is using Michigan as a stepping stone to the NFL. But if you're a Michigan fan, I get the heartburn, but don't be upset with Harbaugh for that. And if he leaves, that's leverage for you to go get the next great coach. That is not something to freak out about and go, oh man, well, we're never going to be able to replace Harbaugh. And now it's the worst thing in the world. And and, you know, our program is going to fall back to what it was under Brady Hope. That's just not what's going to happen. Um, if Harbaugh goes, good for Harbaugh. That means he got a better opportunity. And that means other coaches are going to look at it and go, yeah, that's great. Um, and it means, too, it validates how good of a coach you had. I want my coach getting interviews. I want my coach getting opportunities. I am a Liberty fan and I am a Duke fan. Jamie Chadwell's at Liberty. The biggest compliment you can give to Liberty is Jamie Chadwell getting interviewed by big programs next year because Liberty went 11 and one. That'd be great for Liberty. The biggest compliment you can give to Duke is that Mike Elko gets tons of interviews next year. Like, do I necessarily want Elko to leave? Not really. I think he's had a great first year at Duke, but if Duke goes 11 and one next year, which I would love for Duke to be, what is Mike Elko going to get opportunities? So that validates the coach that you have. So, I mean, all these Michigan fans pushing back on Harbaugh. Oh, like you need to sign a lifetime contract. Oh, be more committed to the school. That's just not realistic. The really talented people are going to be loyal to who gives them the best vision. That's just the reality with really talented people. Um, it doesn't mean they don't like you. It, it doesn't have anything to do with that. They're just going to be loyal to who they feel like gives them the best opportunity and who shows them the best path forward for them and their family. It's the same thing that we see in business. Same thing we see in coaching. Uh, you get an opportunity to go from 6 million to 8 million to 12 million to go to a better, bigger program, live in a better area, have a better chance of success. You're going to entertain that any normal person would. So I don't have any issue with this, with Jim Harbaugh doing this. I think what Michigan fans need to understand and accept at this point is if Harbaugh is your coach, if that is who you're committed to, this is going to be a thing every year, every single off season. By the way, this was a thing with Nick Saban for a long time. The NFL kept calling Texas has called and Alabama fans. I think have done a really good job of handling it in stride that yeah, Nick is getting these calls. Um, so I, I, I like, look, Jim Harbaugh getting calls from the NFL. There's no reason to be upset with Harbaugh for this. You should be excited for him. He's getting opportunities. Means other coaches who might want the Michigan job are now going to look at it going, 
that's a really great job. That's a really great job. I could maybe leverage that for something better. If it doesn't work out, I could still get a good job. That is a really great job to have. Um, so I, I don't look at that as like this big, terrible thing Harbaugh is doing if he leaves or the fact that he continues to interview for these jobs. Doesn't make him less committed to heart to Michigan. Just means he's committed to him, and he should be. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, okay. I don't think there was anything else we really wanted to go over. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about the future of the sport. I think the sport's been so incredibly regional in the past 10 years where college football is at its absolute best. Because college football is always going to have three, like three to four dominant teams. It's always had that. That's never going to change. So, I mean, you can expand the playoff, expand it to 100 teams. I don't care. It's going to be a three to four team race. That's just what it's going to be. Um, but what you have to have in conjunction with that is you have to have stories in different areas of the country have to be represented. What I'm excited about for college football is now I'm getting Michigan and Ohio State competing for a spot. Now I'm getting one great team from the SEC competing for a spot. So I'm going to get a Georgia. I'm going to get an Alabama. I'm going to get an LSU. They're taking a spot. Now I'm getting USC emerging. So I'm getting a Pacific team, a Northern team, a Southern team, a Southeastern team. That's perfect for the sport. And then you've got little programs. Now I won't say little programs, but these smaller programs that are also becoming really fun to watch, like Colorado in the Pac-12 with Deion Sanders, I, look, I have no idea what that's going to be. I, like, I'm fascinated to watch. I'm going to watch college Colorado football this year because Deion Sanders is now coaching. That fascinates me. Um, Wisconsin now getting their head coach. I, I think they've got a really nice head coach. Um, I think Wisconsin football is going to be much better next year than it was this year. Does Wisconsin have an opportunity to win the Big Ten? Probably not. But Luke Fickle will have that team rolling. They'll be really competitive. That will be a fascinating watch. Shane Beamer at South Carolina. I, again, I have no idea what happens there, but I'm excited to watch it. I think Florida State is going to be a top eight team going into the year. I don't know if they're a championship caliber team, but I think they're going to be really, really competitive. In the ACC, now I'm getting Clemson versus Florida State. They will be the ones really running the table in that conference going into the year and now we're losing the divisions as well, which means we could get a Florida state Clemson ACC championship game. That's fantastic. I'll take that thing all day long. Um, and then we have glorious train wrecks. Like I have no idea what's happening with Texas. I have no idea what's happening with Miami. Um, these are, or Nebraska, but I'm fascinated at least at the start of the year to see where do they go? This is where college football is at its greatest. You've got a couple teams that are dominant, which we do. Georgia's dominant. Alabama's dominant. Um, Michigan is dominant now. These are some dominant teams. Then we've got some teams that are really interesting. Tennessee, Colorado, um, Wisconsin. They're going to be competitive teams that are really interesting. And then we have these dumpster fires that we just don't know what to do with, like Miami, I have no idea what we're going to do with that team. Penn State, I can't decide if they, they were a dumpster fire for a couple years ago. Last year, they felt like they were a pretty good team again. I don't know if they're a dumpster fire. I don't know if James Franklin's a good coach. 
But I know over the next couple of years, that will be a fascinating watch too. So I'm really excited about the sport. All right. That is the fourth string podcast. Uh, we will be back. I think later this month, Ben and I are going to continue our coaching grades for the year as we enjoy a fantastic off season and get ready for the 2023 college football season. Have a great night.